This thing blew my mind, and this is th there's a Netflix blog post about this from like 2016 or something, because I remember reading this when I was still at Hulu. So this is just sort of one example of how kind of mature and advanced the UI is. Where I really got deep into that was when Flash was all the rage on the internet, which is you know, maybe I'll just explain that for the listeners because Flash <laughs> has not been around for a while, but basically it was an Adobe plugin uh, that, you know, you could do some extremely cool and creative things on the web. And it was really one of the first tools that merged coding and design into one platform. And there were a lot of really groundbreaking uh, websites and web experiences that were made in Flash. and. Long story short, Flash kind of died when Steve Jobs decided not to support it on the iPhone and things moved more into the HTML5, you know, CSS, JavaScript direction. But um, basically that's really what intrigued me is making really cool interactive things. So I learned both the code and the design side uh, of Flash. What was one of your favorite projects that you mm -hmm. did? All right, this is top of mind because I just saw her name mentioned in the news. So what's up, everybody? I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Jordan Kolosinski. Jordan currently works at Netflix as a product design lead on the studio product innovation team. Before Netflix, he was the principal product designer at Hulu. I first met Jordan when he was one of the five panelists in one of my school club's product panel last year. And since I started this podcast, I've always wanted to invite Jordan on to share his expertise designing in the streaming industry and his product design journey. And this episode surely did not disappoint. We talked about a variety of topics, such as the influence of Adobe Flash on his career, favorite project as a freelancer, challenges designing in the streaming industry, and much more. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jordan Kolosinski. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. So I wanted to start with your background. You study art history and multimedia arts during your undergrad at Tufts, which is also where I'm from. Then you study music technology and composition at NYU, and you even worked as a music producer for almost two years. As a person who tried to dabble into music during gap year and did not turn out very successful, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm just really curious like, why did you decide to study music tech and how has that impacted your career thus far? Um, it's a great question. I feel like there's a lot of parts to that. Um, maybe I'll rewind to when I was at Tufts, which is where you are. Go Jumbos. Um, yeah. I actually, and I didn't even think of this until it came up now. Um, my internship 
my senior year, I uh, was at an advertising agency in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interned there. I thought advertising was really cool, pretty awesome ad agency. Interned there and I ended up getting hired. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I started there right after I graduated, basically in June. And I was working on the interactive team there. So doing websites, you know, banner ads, you know, stuff from back in the day that we did. And advertising is funny because ad agencies work with a lot of vendors, like third-party companies that come in, whether they're production companies doing effects or shooting stuff. There's um, a lot of those, and there's also music companies. So these music houses would come in and pitch They'd buy us lunch, they'd come to the office and tell us, you know, about the kind of sound design and composition they did and play us their reel. And they always seemed mm. super cool. Yeah. And having done music since, you know, I was a teenager and being really interested in music tech and all that, I'm like, wait, that's what I want to do. I want to work at a music house and score commercials mm-hmm. that seem super cool. So like that was kind of the impetus of it. And then I went to grad school um, to do that and I can mm-hmm. kind of go on and on about that. But yeah, that's that's sort of what nudged me uh, down that path for a bit. Got it. Yeah. What about music tech draws you in? I'm a nerd um, and I like <laughs> making music and there's just a pleasure of recording yourself and making fun sounds with synthesizers. Mm-hmm. It's just been an interest of mine um, since I bought synths and drum machines. Yeah. When I was in, uh, I guess, high school. And there's so much you can do now on the computer. Yeah, it's just it's just mm-hmm. fun, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and and also we were just talking about this before we started. There were uh, some great classes that were offered at Tufts on music technology, where I kind of learned more of the fundamentals and kind of you know theory mm-hmm. behind it, um, which got me even more interested in it. And I think for I'm not exactly sure if the listeners have heard of music tech before. I think in just very um, simple terms, how would you describe what music tech is? It's how audio is made and recorded. Um, and you can go super deep to the real engineering um, signal processing level. Um, you can not go so deep and, and look at it as just audio processing within things like Logic or GarageBand. You know, there's a lot of parallels to sort of bring this to uh, the design world. I mean, there's a lot of theory behind making anything and how anything on a computer is rendered. Um, And it's, you know, if you're interested in it, it's kind of fun to go deep, but you don't always, you know, people can make amazing music and amazing recordings and not know a single thing about uh, how it all works. Like there's a ton of producers that that's the case for, but um, yeah, I just happen to be interested in getting uh, into the the nerdy weeds uh, with all that stuff. Love that. This is actually a good segue into, you mentioned how there's like, like correlations with like design in terms of production and also rendering side. So how did you enter the world of design after your music production started? Yeah, it's a good question. So I feel like I've always done all of this stuff together. It's not like I did music and then stopped Mm -hmm. doing music and then decided to do design. Music was always an interest in high school and continues to be today. And you know, making things on a computer, which it wasn't always as obvious as saying that I design things. A lot of web stuff um, 
began more on the engineering side and the coding side and webmasters and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there've been, there been a lot of different terms for it, uh, for, for, you know, just making things on the internet, basically. Right. So where I really got deep into that was when Flash was all the rage on the internet, which is, you know, maybe I'll just explain that for the listeners because <laughs> Flash has not been around for a while, but basically it was an Adobe plugin uh, Mm. that, you know, you could do some extremely cool and creative things on the web. And it was really one of the first tools that merged coding and design into one platform. And Mm. there were a lot of really groundbreaking uh, websites and web experiences that were made in Flash. And long story short, Flash kind of died when Steve Jobs decided not to support it on the iPhone. And things moved more into the HTML5, you know, CSS, JavaScript direction. But um, basically, that's really what intrigued me is making really cool interactive things. So I learned both the code and the design side uh, of Flash. And for a while, was doing sort of both and realized, do I want to go down the path of being a coder and an engineer? Or do I want to go down the path of, you know, design and really thinking through why and how these things are made? And, you know, obviously, I picked the, the product design route. Mm. Was that a realization you had during your job or is it more as you were dabbling into Flash and maybe doing a few more, more like side projects that they realized you wanted to delve more into product design? Yeah. So at that time I was, I freelanced for a while. So I freelanced um, for a bunch of years, you know, sometimes in-house at companies and a lot of times for clients that I had to build out sites for them or, you know, to design and build sites for them. I think I just never felt like I was the coder. Um, I didn't really love when, you know, cause some projects I was just doing that and it just didn't feel mm. right. It didn't feel like what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to, and especially because I think part of it was I would look at those designs that I was coding and could point out a uh, hundred different things that I would do better. And I right. think that just helped me realize, no, I want to, I want to really focus on design. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned your freelance career. So there, there were a period of time where you were a freelance designer and also a programmer, which you mentioned just now. Why did you decide to go the design freelancer route early on in your career? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wouldn't recommend it. I have lots of thoughts on, on Interesting. I think for, for an early designer, uh, in, you know, 2022 uh, and going forward. But I did it just because it just kind of happened, I guess. I was, when I moved to Los Angeles and I was doing, I was pursuing, you know, music stuff. I worked for a film composer uh, and the nature of a lot of music stuff is that you're freelance. If you're writing music for commercials and you're demoing on commercials, you know, Toyota is not hiring you. Uh, you're, You're doing freelance work and getting paid a rate to a music company or whatever. So just by its nature, that's already freelance. So when I was doing that um, and people that I knew uh, were asking if I could help with their web stuff, uh, it just sort Mm -hmm. of naturally happened. And I ended up doing it for a while, longer than I expected. And I think when I came out here, I I didn't actually intend to, uh, to, to freelance, but um, Mm -hmm. that's what I did. you know, there were, I got to work on some cool things and I really learned quite a lot. You kind of have to when, when it's you on your own. Yeah. But um, I think my advice to someone starting out now is 
you know, the, the network you can develop and, and all the things you can learn mm-hmm. at either a startup or a bigger company. There's, there's a lot more, I think, to gain as mm-hmm. your first job than just trying to go out on your own uh, right away. So I guess versus like freelance, like working at a company of different sizes, you get more exposure and also just networking opportunities with more people versus freelance. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you can be freelance where it's all you and you're basically the company and you're doing everything kind of soup mm-hmm. to nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one setup. Another one is, you know, you're more like temp or you're kind of like a contractor in-house at a company for a set period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think when anyone's getting started now and trying to figure out like where they want to go as a designer, I feel like a good question to ask is how big of a company you want to be at um, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's so many startups that are looking for design and, and probably have a pretty small team. And therefore there's a lot that one designer can work on. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I did actually, after I freelanced, I worked at a, a startup and you really get to kind of do, you do it all or you do it all with one other person. And I think there's a lot to gain from that. Um, mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, if you go to a larger company, if you go to, Roblox, uh, mm-hmm. or if you go to mm-hmm. Google or anywhere else where there's, you know, hundreds of designers, you're going to be around talent that's a lot higher than you. And you're going to learn a ton from them, uh, where you wouldn't necessarily at a smaller startup or definitely, uh, freelancing. So I just think that's all stuff to, um, yeah, to consider, to consider. Yeah, for sure. And I'm curious, like how has those years as a freelancer impacted you as a designer your today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I also did, I think part of when I was freelancing, what was interesting to me was the flexibility to obviously, you know, do projects for companies, but also have time to just do stuff for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I did a bunch of just sort of fun web projects. I did fun music projects too. Um, But yeah, just sort of doing these, these creative projects um, that kind of forced me to get a lot better uh, mm-hmm. at design and coding. So I think I actually learned quite a lot by just pursuing my interests and p- pursuing uh, different projects during that time. And some of them were pretty fun. And, you know, today I still know how to code. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing I feel like we can talk about is design and coding and, and sort of the power of prototyping and all that. And I'm very happy that that's something um, I'm able to do and I, I leverage fairly often. What was one of your favorite projects that you did during mm-hmm. that time? All right. This is top of mind because I just saw her name mentioned in the news. So, oh. so, so Sarah Palin, um, and I'll, I'll give background again to the audience here, just, just so everyone mm-hmm. knows who she is. She um, was the uh, vice presidential candidate with John McCain um, in 2008. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And I did a very silly website. So she, she had lots of, she's from Alaska and she had lots of little, little phrases she said. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, not a big fan, uh, of of her. And I made, I made just for fun, a website that was, looked like magnetic poetry and magnetic poetry was this thing that you, um, it was like a fad at some point. Mm-hmm. where it's it's individual words that are printed on magnets and you put them on your fridge and oh. you can kind of rearrange these words to just make funny right funny little poems or whatever so i kind of took yeah. that idea of just these these snippets of words that you could rearrange 
Um, but I built a flash site where I took her words and I took maybe like 500 of like the, her audio clips. And then on mm-hmm. screen, I built, you know, the little strips of the words and people could go on and pick her words and rearrange them and kind of, you know, make her say silly yeah. things <laughs> um, oh. and save them. And, uh, you know, it was something I did in like a week uh, and it was thought it was really fun. It ended up like going viral, like oh. you know, in the early days of Twitter and uh, crashed oh the whole God. website. It was it was on and got written up in like TMZ and the Huffington wow. Post and all that. And it was just this like stupid idea that uh, <laughs> took, took off for a few days. And that was pretty fun. Does she end up seeing it? Oh, I have no idea. Probably not. I mean, it's, uh, you know, small, small potatoes to her. Uh, and, uh, but it was just sort of a fun, you know, yeah, you can, you can make something kind of silly and, uh, mm-hmm. people enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I, I did other things, but that was top of mind. Cause I just, I, I think there's like an election with her today or something that I, uh, I was just reading about. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Actually. It, it's like, because I think one thing that I, I guess I realized during design, it was like, because I, I come from a fine arts background and for fine arts, there's not really any constraints in that I can use whatever medium I use to express myself. And I feel like music in some way is similar to that. But I think when I started to dabble in design, I realized that there's a lot more things that I have to consider just outside of the craft itself. So I find it super interesting that like all these side projects are trying to break that mold in a sense it's like you're trying to see what's possible on the web and also just design in general um which i think is super cool yeah totally i I think design is a lot of working within constraints and understanding technical constraints budget constraints the constraints of the people and the platform and all that and yeah it's really great to work on things that really you know you're the constraint basically and you Mm -hmm. get to really explore and do something Mm-hmm. you know, fun. And, you know, maybe it's a little stupid, but I, I yeah, think it's, it's usually, yeah, it's, it's usually worth it. And I, um, I think anyone who does that and, you know, pursues, you know, it doesn't have to be designed. It doesn't have to be coded or anything, but just side projects that you care about, I think will always make you better, um, in many ways, uh, you know, especially at your design job. I would like to transition a little bit into designing in, the TV and streaming industry. So it seems like your first major design role in the TV industry was at the American Standard Television as the UX lead. Was entering the TV industry as a designer an intentional decision? Yes. So I was talking earlier about when it's, you know, do I want to go further down the sort of coder path or do I want to really be a designer. Um, and then this opportunity came up, uh, at the startup where I was doing both, but it was more on the side of actually designing the UI. Um, I was also doing some coding, uh, for it, but it was, it was more primarily designed. So it was a really good role to kind of transition more into being a product designer. And I think just because I think for context, we're also going to touch about this later, but after the startup, you worked at Hulu and now you're at Netflix. I think over your career working in the TV industry, what are some challenges that designers face when designing in this industry? There's a lot of them. I think it depends on what part of the product you're Mm -hmm. thinking about. I mean, I sort of at the top of the funnel is there's all of the signup flow Mm -hmm. um, and presenting the different account plans and, you know, getting people's credit card info. There's 
the whole problem of discovery, which is probably the meatiest part of, you know, Netflix has this enormous library, basically, you know, so does Disney, so does Hulu. How do you make sure that someone who's paying money to have access to all this knows that the things they like are on there and is able to watch them? So putting the right thing in front of people at the right time is an incredibly complex problem. And, you know, I'm extremely biased here, but I think Netflix is definitely doing the best job in terms of an adaptive, uh, intelligent UI that, that really personalizes uh, what each person sees. Yeah. So that's a big challenge. I mean, you know, playback is, is a whole other thing. So yeah, there's a lot of different kind of realms within streaming services um, that are interesting design and engineering problems. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned discovery, is it like recommendation of the shows to watch? Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one part of it for sure. Um, like when you open Netflix, you're going to see different things than I see. Mm. Um, and a lot of that, well, assuming you have Netflix, um, yeah, but yeah. like a lot of that is informed by what you've watched and the different signals, like what you've given the thumbs up to, or what you kind of stopped watching halfway through. Mm. Um, and that informs like when a new show comes out, how prominent should that be in the UI for you based on, you know, how likely you are to watch it. Mm. I'm assuming there's a lot of like behind the scenes work to make sure that all the content is something that the listeners will want. So a ton. And actually, all right, I'm going to, this thing blew my mind. And this is, there's a Netflix blog post about this from like 2016 or something. Cause I remember reading this when I was still at Hulu. So Mm -hmm. this is just sort of one example of how Mm -hmm. kind of mature and advanced the UI is. So there's not just, what's a show you watch on, on Netflix? Uh, I've been watching a design show called abstract. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Abstract is great. All right. So let's, let's take abstract. Um, abstract is a great design documentary. So the art for that, there's not just one poster for that. Those are personalized. Um, so, you know, like stranger things too, to take a much more common example. Um, the content of the art that you see is also personalized because it gives you information about what the show's about. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to picture the abstract art um, yeah, and it's, yeah. I know it's, it's, it might be like an architect's drawing board or something like that, that mm-hmm. I've seen, but I'm sure, you know, there, I'm sure there's variations of it or stranger things. Some might have the Demogorgon, mm-hmm. uh, some might have Millie Bobby Brown, and it kind of gives you a different sense of the story or kind of highlights different characters. So anyhow, yeah, Netflix goes that deep where even the art is personalized to you to kind of give you an understanding of what the the show is about. And of course, hopefully watch the things um, that will be interesting to you. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that before. That's do the producers themselves create multiple different versions of the art or is it more like Netflix decides like grabs images from the video itself, then turn them into thumbnails. Yeah. There's a whole team at Netflix that does this. And I think, I think there's also because there's so many shows and films and around the world too. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is something that, there, you know, sometimes agencies probably help out with too. But yeah, that's that's done on, on Netflix's side. So it could be screenshots from the show. It could be stuff from a photo shoot, like promotional stuff mm-hmm. for the show uh, as well. But usually it's trying to like get at a different aspect of the content so that, you know, it's right. painting, not a different picture, but like just giving a different angle of what that show or film might be about. Mm-hmm. And I guess the ultimate goal is that image will in some way 
intrigue you for you to click into the show and then start watching it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that level of personalization, I mean, it's, it's just a cool spot of where engineering and, you know, machine learning and all that intersects with product design because they're all working really closely together on an experience uh, like that. I also wanted to ask about, because you were at Hulu before and right. you worked at Hulu for almost six years. There was a career transition um, not really career transition, but more like position transition where that you went from a product designer and then you became a senior product designer. And lastly, you were a principal product designer. I'm curious, how did your responsibilities and day-to-day change as you progress up the design ladder at Hulu? Yeah, I think working on more challenging, more high profile, more interesting parts of the product, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um but one thing maybe to sort of tie this back to the, uh, do you want to work for a startup or do you want to work for a mm-hmm. big company thing? And, and a lot of this, you know, sometimes you can't really control all that. But when I started at Hulu, the design team was literally down to four people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I won't sort of go into the whole corporate history of Hulu, yeah. but right <laughs> before I started, basically from the time, uh, right, I think when I interviewed, the founding CEO had resigned. Um, and a lot of people thought, okay, that's it. Hulu's Hulu's done. Like this is a sinking ship. You know, like obviously not everybody thought that, but a lot of people did. And and the design team, I'm picturing the room of people that I interviewed with. Mm-hmm. Um, from the time I interviewed to the time I started, like most of them had had left the company, which you know was oh. was crazy. Yeah. Um, so when I when I first started, it was sort of like dark days. Um, and I'm like, all right, well. You know, this could either, this could either go south and, you know, Hulu gets sold to like, you know, there were rumors that like DirecTV was going to buy Hulu or like mm. you know, other companies. I'm like, you know, it could go south and I go somewhere else, or this could be a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, and thankfully it was, it was the latter and, you know, being, you know, for a time, one of four designers, um, mm. there was a lot of work to do. Um, yeah. so you know, just, just by virtue of that, I got, I got to kind of be involved in a lot of different things. And, you know, the design team scaled. And by the time I left, it was like 50 people. Um, But I'd really say that was, that was, you know, a a pretty big part in the growth I had there too, is just the size of the team, the kind of moment Mm -hmm. that it happened to be uh, at the company. How did they turn it around? Got a new CEO. Um, So, so Hulu, I said, I wouldn't go too deep into it, but Disney now owns Hulu, but for a time it was, it was a co-ownership between the three major networks. So it was ABC, which is owned by Disney. NBC, which is Comcast, uh, and Fox. Um, mm. so, the, so these three companies, these three competing companies own Hulu. Um, so the way it turned around was people thought they were going to sell it. They decided not to. They decided to like reinvest. I think it was like a billion dollars into Hulu. Wow. Um, you know, because they were like, wait a second, we have this great streaming service. Mm-hmm. Like we should continue to to leverage this. So yeah, I mean, they they reinvested money. They got a great CEO. Company kept scaling, and it's done done really well hulu's got um i think it's like 40 million subscribers now wow something like that yeah Yeah. so it's still still doing well that's awesome yeah and i think during your time at hulu what's one thing that helped you inform or your current like design decisions as a designer or like shaped you as a designer like i think about this too just you know even where i'm still at like how do you how do you grow as a designer is Mm -hmm. you know what 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 exactly is it's that will help you with that. And I, I, I think with design is just, it's just doing it's, 
working in different spaces. It's working with different people, like learning how to work with different product managers, working on projects that are more metrics heavy, working on projects that are more like qualitative. I think it's just doing that and having the exposure to it and being able to work through different problems. Like I was explaining, you know, like the signup flow to discovery, to retention and all that. I got to spend time on those different parts of the project or uh, the different parts of the product and kind of understand how they work and how they're built and all that. So I really think the biggest thing is just, yeah, like all the different things I got exposure to. And I, I, I think that more than any like one bit of wisdom I learned or whatever is, is probably the best takeaway I had. And I think this even goes back to your freelancing time when you were working on those like personal side projects, like passion projects that yeah, it was only through those, like you were, you were actually like producing those, creating those. And then through those projects, you were able to like learn new, uh, new snippets of like knowledge in like, whether it's design or coding. Yeah, exactly. And, and for side projects too, I think it's good to like know what you're trying to do. Like sometimes you get an idea or this is how it's worked for me. Like you get an idea of a thing you want to do and you don't know how to do it. So then you have to go learn how to use the YouTube API or, you know, learn some new like JavaScript library and stuff. But like, that's kind of what pulls you to um, actually figuring that stuff out. So um, I wanted to transition into Netflix. This is the current company that you're working at. So currently you're now the product design lead at Netflix. On a very high level, what are you currently working on at Netflix? I am working on a platform that is used by our production partners around the world to basically organize the information they have um, about the shows and the productions that are ongoing and to share that information back uh, to Netflix. So I work on stuff that's not like, it's not, it's not anything you would see uh, in the Netflix UI, which is kind of what drew me to it. So, you know, I did a lot of the the consumer facing stuff at, at Hulu and I'm sort of doing almost the behind the curtain yeah. stuff, Netflix, which is fun. Interesting. Yeah. So is it more, are the produce production team currently already using the platform? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of productions that, that are using what I work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are similar products that are commercial products to what we have in, in some ways, but, um, you know, there's a lot of advantages for the shows and for Netflix to use these, these custom tools that we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why we've invested in it, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of shows or a lot of productions that are, that are using what I've worked on. Yeah. And how would you describe the design culture and maturity at Netflix? It is a, it's an amazing team. I think what's really interesting about the design team at Netflix is that all the designers coming in are senior level or above, which I don't know any other company that kind of hires that way. Mm-hmm. I think we're just starting to have an intern program. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of um, people who are product designers at Netflix because it's everybody just has, I think, I think, I think Facebook does this. I know a lot of companies is just product designer. There's not like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm senior, junior, whatever, you know, a lot of folks were like managers or directors at other companies and, and, you know, come in and, and design at Netflix. So it's just, um, obviously a, a real pleasure to work alongside other designers who were super sharp 
and and experienced and mm-hmm. but there's also it's it's a very uh friendly and you know sort of low uh ego kind of place too which is which is kind of the perfect balance and mm-hmm. yeah it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a very supportive and um i think it's a great design culture love that yeah so it seems like everybody at least in before everybody coming in are all super experienced like they've had they, they were high up in the position that we're in before and then they yeah i think generally that's true uh for design um i think engineering uh has opened up a little bit more to 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 grads right out of school and you know design might as well i, I don't have like mm-hmm. the official mm-hmm. word on that or anything like that yeah. but yeah for design uh that that is how the team has has generally been been built got it that makes sense yeah i would like to I know we're running a little bit out of time, so I do want to touch upon this final question. I like to ask this at the very end of each conversation. So if you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, so back in your days at Tufts as a jumbo, what career slash life advice will you tell him? Yes, that's a great question. And um, lucky for you, I think I would do the major that, because you're engineering psychology, right? Yeah, yeah. So- I've always just like, you know, this sort of whatever you want to call it, like right brain, left brain, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, technical, creative stuff, like, like the combination of, of those has always been interesting to me. And I was going to double major at Tufts, or sorry, I majored in art history. Mm-hmm. And I was going to double major as well in psychology to sort of get that like creative, you know, mm-hmm. like, like sort of analytical yeah. um, balance to it. I didn't know what that engineering psychology was offered until like, I think it was like the middle of my senior year. Mm -hmm. And when I found that out, I'm like, how did I not know this? (laughs) If I, if I knew about this major, I would have done it. Like without a question, I would have, I would have majored in engineering psychology, which, you know, is tough waves. It's human computer interaction. Yeah. Yeah. um, All that stuff. And uh, you know, so I guess my advice to myself was like, (laughs) but would just go back and, I think major in that and and maybe get on the path I've, you know, thankfully found earlier. Um, you know, I worked with information architects at the ad agency I worked at, but like mm. everyone thought that they were like the nerds, like in not a right. good way. And I wish I sort of was a little more enlightened by that because like they were doing wireframes um, and they were doing really interesting stuff. And I feel like I could have just picked up on all that stuff a bit earlier, but you know what, like mm. it's okay that I didn't. Um yeah. So yeah. It's it's not a, a regretful thing, but I do. Th- I think that's a it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everything worked out at the very end. You were able to find what you're passionate and interested. I I hope so. it's not the very end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think I I stumbled across engineering psychology because a uh, I think a grad student told me about it, and then that was actually the first time I heard about UX design or product design in general. And I just find it my sweet spot because it's a combination of so many different disciplines, psychology, yeah. computer science, design, maybe a little bit of art in some way, uh, business. Yeah, there's just so many crossovers for this field. And I think that was what really drew me in in the first place. That's that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so relevant now. I mean, everything has some element of, or it should have mm-hmm. some element of, of design and considering the people using it and the experience of it. So um, do, do a lot of people major in that at Tufts right now? Uh, I would say the number is definitely increasing. 
I don't know the exact numbers, but I feel like it's definitely growing. Because there's engineering psychology in the arts and science department, and then there's also human factors engineering in the engineering department. Oh, interesting. I think these are like essentially the same things, but just in the engineering department, you have to take all the science classes and the math classes, which I'm not super interested in. So I went the arts and science direction. That's cool. I mean, you know, I don't, I obviously don't know like the curriculum or whatever, but I think it's, um, I think getting the psychology and, you know, the perception and human behavior part of design in there, I think that's really important. Again, I don't, I don't think I know enough about um, how it's taught at more like art schools and all that. But, um, you know, even if anyone listening to this is in art school or whatever, I think I think it's worth reading those books um, on perception and, and on behavior and all that, because that's a really important component of how your design is going to land and how it's going to be perceived um, mm-hmm. by different people and in different contexts. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. You're studying that. Yeah. With that, that rounds up the fireside chat that we have today. So yeah, I just wanted to say, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to join. Cool. On the show. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show, and I'll see you in the next episode.